The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brother's. And say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father God, we are so grateful to come before you on this special Easter Sunday. We're grateful for the knowledge of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Savior who descended beneath all of our sorrows, beneath all of our sickness, our worry, our anguish, our sadness, our afflictions, but rose, and we commemorate today, as we might do every day, that he has risen from the dead, and that he may bring to us the power of resurrection that will lift us above all of our sorrows, above all of our sins, above all of the brokenness. We ask today 
pour out your spirit on us, on each person here, each person with a broken heart, with a sadness, with a weight, that your spirit may witness to each of us, and especially those who are particularly worried, tormented, troubled, that Jesus has risen, that we may partake of that resurrecting power, that salvation. Help us each to be reminded or to learn anew about your son Jesus. And it's in his name, his glorious, beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Well, happy Easter. Well, this is my favorite day of the year, though we celebrate every day that Jesus is risen. I love Easter, a day when we do commemorate the the glorious truth that Jesus is alive. And the title of my message this morning is Not Fake News. Come on, somebody. You got to give me a little laugh for that. Come on. I was uh, thinking of that title a few weeks ago as I was hearing so much about fake news. And I thought, man, I, I better, you know, get on this because somebody else is going to think of this. And so, yeah, I, I feel like the, really inspired by the Holy Spirit for that, right? There's a lot of talk, as you know, today about fake news. And when watching or reading uh, any news outlet or hearing, listening to any news outlet, it at times is tough to decipher what is accurate in what is simply uh, maybe just propaganda? It's not just journalists, though, that at times are guilty of uh, creating what we call fake news. But if you use social media, media, how many know there's some fake news on there as well? And there's even some scams. How many have received some kind of scam, especially on Facebook? Just so you know, you might think I'm crazy, but I love when people try to scam me because I get it. I'm I'm a little bit of a techie guy and I can recognize it and I love messing with hackers. It's like my favorite thing to do. No joke. Two weeks ago, one of my Facebook friends had his account hacked. Many of you probably had this happen. So I get a private Facebook message that looks like it's coming from my friend and it says to me, uh, listen, I, I'm looking for somebody to give this grant money to. And I can tell immediately by what he's asking or telling me and by the poor English and uh, lack of punctu- punctuation that this is a scam. I think, oh, this is going to be fun. He messed with the wrong dude. And so um, so I, I figured it out immediately. So he's asking, you know, telling me about this, all this money that's available. So right off, he didn't have to press me or anything. Here's what I say to him. Listen, it's such a great thing you messaged me because I was just sitting here thinking how much money I needed. Can, can I go ahead and give you my bank account number? So this guy's thinking jackpot, right? Jackpot. But before I give him my bank account number, any of my information, you know, he's pretending to be my friend. I'm going to ask him five million questions. 
So I start asking about, uh, uh, you know, Uncle Edward and Aunt Edna. And I even asked him, I said, hey, how's your dog been? I know it's been in the vet lately for some stomach issues. And I'm asking him question after question. How's the wife? You know, these kind of things. And he says, why are you asking me all these things? He finally gets kind of perturbed with me. And he, he says, why are you asking me all this? And I said, because we have your IP address now. Run, brother. <laughs> I fibbed. <laughs> Dear Lord, forgive me for that. But uh, that's kind of fun. But in all seriousness, because of the onslaught of scams and fake news, the tendency is to discredit or to at least be skeptical or very cynical of even real information. We have this culture now. We've created this atmosphere where, where people's word doesn't mean much anymore. So we're very skeptical even of real news. Let me ask you something. If you happen to receive a uh, an official looking letter in the mail from some law firm. And on it it said that you had some long lost uncle who has passed away. Somebody you've never heard of. And. For whatever reason, this person knew you and they left you about $3 million. Now, how many would be a little bit skeptical at first, right? You'd say, this can't be. Come on, I've never heard of Uncle Whoever. And you'd probably be a skeptic. But if $3 million is at stake, how many would just at least look into it a little bit, right? I mean, that's life-changing, right? So you would at least, you'd be crazy not to. Just look into it. If it's a scam, it's a scam. But if you didn't, your whole life you'd be wondering, man, I wonder if that was for real. Well, here's a plea that I have for every person in this auditorium. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if true, is earth shattering. The implications are far greater than receiving $3 million. This is life and death. So here's my plea to you today that every person in here would consider, look into the resurrection. I want to talk just a moment to skeptics because I know that some of you may have come just to appease a mother or father, a brother, sister, spouse, somebody. And you may not be a believer. I want you to know, number one, you are so welcome here. You're welcome at Real Life Community Church. And I'm not scared. I'm not afraid to talk to skeptics. As a matter of fact, I've, I have friends who are agnostics and atheists. And, and, and I, I love conversing with them. And it, I'm not threatened by that. But here's my... I, I just implore you to do this today. Would you just consider the resurrection today? Because if it is true, and by the way, I believe it is. If it is true, then it changes everything. And the Bible that we're preaching from today and the gospel that you've probably heard before is true. And I also want to appeal to believers today. This message is not just for skeptics, but I want you to consider again the resurrection with me. And I want us together to be reminded of the hope that we have because of the wonderful resurrection. It changes everything. We can get so downtrodden and heavy laden and and just burdened and despondent when we look at all that's going on in our world oh the apostles could have done that as well as they were under the tyranny of rome 
They could have been discouraged, but why did they have hope? What's the same reason we have hope today? You know why? Because he is risen. Hallelujah. And so if you're taking notes, I want to, through this text, I want to point out three facets of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the back of your bulletin, there is a, a place to take notes. The focus of John's account of the resurrection in these verses is mainly on a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. And Mary, before encountering Jesus, was what we call a demoniac. She was possessed with seven demons. Jesus cast those out of her. You can find that story in Luke chapter 8. And from this time on, she was pretty fond of Jesus, as you can imagine. And she became a devout follower of Jesus. And so I want to look through this story at three facets of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number one, the resurrection is extraordinary. It is extraordinary. Look at verse 1 of our text, John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Mary is making her way to the tomb to finish burial preparations. She sees the stone rolled away and she believes that the body has been taken by thieves. And she is just beside herself. And here's my point in bringing this out. Jesus being raised from the dead is not even on her radar. When Mary tells Peter and John about the body being gone at first, here, these are his devout disciples. They don't even consider the resurrection. And here's what's so interesting. Jesus had predicted his resurrection several times. Let me just show you a few of these. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. Matthew 16. We're going to stay in Matthew. Matthew 16, 21. We'll start here. It says this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Pretty clear, isn't it? But they missed it. Matthew 17, 22, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and they will be, and he will be raised on the third day and they will be greatly, they were greatly distressed. Matthew twenty seventeen, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took to the 12, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. And then you, if you were to go over, I won't read this text, I'll just refer to it. But if you go read Luke's account of the resurrection in Luke 24, it's evident by uh, this conversation that Mary knew Jesus as well had predicted his death and resurrection. So it wasn't just the disciples, the, the twelve, but it was Mary herself knew that Jesus had predicted his death and then resurrection. So even with this knowledge, even though they had heard this from Jesus' own lips, his resurrection is not on the mind of Mary. It is not on the minds of the disciples. Everybody's sad. They're despondent because they haven't taken his word seriously. 
So even after seeing the empty tomb, you would think like light bulb or bell, like ding, ding, ding. No, not even on their mind. Why? Here it is. Because people don't rise from the dead. This is an extraordinary event. And so let me talk to Christians for a moment. Don't get so worked up when an unbeliever that you might be witnessing to challenge you, challenges you on the validity of the resurrection. Because that's a normal thing to do, because, friends, people do not rise from the dead. This is an extraordinary event. Now, I tell you not to get worked up because not only is the resurrection an extraordinary event, number two, and I love this. It's a historical event. Okay? This did not happen metaphorically. There's even some people who call themselves Christians who say, well, I don't believe in the literal resurrection. But I think this is just a passage about hope, how some way Jesus is still with us. No. Flesh and blood, it happened. He is raised literally. And it is a historic event. Mary Magdalene, upon finding the empty tomb, frantically rushes to find Peter and John, who in turn go to see uh, this empty tomb for themselves. And we pick up now in verse 6. It says, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face of the cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. So the word saw, I want to point your attention to that, that is in verse 6, talking about Peter. He came and he saw the linen cloth. That is not the normal Greek word that just means to see. But it's, it's a Greek word called thiero. Theorio, somehow, I don't, I'll butcher the, the pronunciation, but that's the English transliteration of the Greek word here. And Tim Keller points out that this word, this is where we get our word theorize. And this word means to consider, to contemplate, essentially to rationally assess a situation. So it's not just that Peter goes into the tomb and just looks with his eyes and doesn't contemplate. No, he uses his mind and he begins to rationalize. So he looks at these cloths that are lying there and they're folded up and he begins to go over this in his mind. This couldn't have been grave robbers. Why would get grave robbers, you know, if, if you've ever had a home broken into, uh, listen, I had a car stolen and it was trash. They didn't take good care of it. When I got it back, it was trash. I wore plastic or, or latex gloves on the way home because I didn't want to get dirty. No joke. If you know me, you know I'm telling the truth. Come on, somebody. So he, he assesses the situation and he says, listen, grave robbers aren't going to take the time to neatly fold the clothes. And matter of fact, this would have been more value. So they, they would have wanted the clothes as well as the body. It could not have been the disciples either. How could the disciples, these, uh, you know, 11 disciples that are left, how could they have overtaken Roman guards? These were simple Galilean men. And so it couldn't have been the disciples. So Peter is thinking through the situation very rationally. In the book, Know Why You Believe, Paul Little points out that to become a Christian, 
You do not have to lose your mind. Friends, that's really good news. Because I've had Christians who don't really know why they believe and they'll just give an atheist or an agnostic some kind of answer, an unbeliever, an answer and go, well, you just have to have faith. Well, that's true that you do have to have faith. But Christianity is actually, this may blow your mind, but it's actually rational. There is good historical reason to believe. Yes, we have to have radical faith. The Holy Spirit has to remove the veil from us so that we can see the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Christ, and find Him more satisfying more than anything else in the world. Yeah, the Holy Spirit has to help us do that. But Christianity is rational. And Peter understands this. He begins to think and assess the situation. So skeptics, I want to implore you, look at the historical evidence. Look at the historical evidence. And I'm going to, there's a a plethora of evidence, both biblical and, by the way, extra biblical, for Jesus' death and the empty tomb and for the resurrection. And so I want to provide some logic for the resurrection. Okay, this is not an exhaustive list. I am not an apologist. I don't claim to be, nor am I a historian. But I'm just going to give you a few things to consider this morning. Number one, I want you to consider with me the Apostle Peter who is in this story. Peter, who is skeptical in this passage, eventually encounters the risen Savior. And he begins to preach a dynamite sermon at Pentecost, Acts 2.32. He says this, this is verse 32. He says, this Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are witnesses. He preaches this dynamite message and says emphatically, Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Jesus is risen. Then you look at the disciples. To explain the empty tomb, see the religious leaders really to deny the plausibility of the resurrection, these religious leaders actually paid the Roman soldiers to state that the body was stolen by the disciples. And there are those who claim that today because they know historically the tomb's empty. Well, it was just the disciples. But I want you to think rationally with me this morning. First, that would be totally against the character of the disciples. Uh, They're not pranksters. They're not, you know, they're not lying. They're not uh, doing any of those kinds of things. That's not who we see in Scripture. Furthermore, think about this. Each of the disciples faced the test of torture. All right? They all, except for the Apostle John, who was exiled were ultimately martyred for their beliefs and teaching. They were, I mean, they went through excruciating, painful deaths. Paul Little points this out, that people will die for what they believe to be true, even though it may actually be false. But people do not die for what they outright know is a lie. The disciples saw the risen Christ. They were willing to be tortured, tormented, and even put to death because only one reason, only one plausible explanation, because of the validity of the resurrection. Folks, the resurrection is a historical event. Then you have numerous eyewitness accounts. This is how we know of all of history. 
Listen to this. We have recorded ten distinct appearances of the risen Christ. And these appearances happen from the morning of the resurrection to Jesus' ascension 40 days later. And they show incredible variety of time and location and people. This wasn't the same guy tripping, going, man, I saw Jesus today. I saw Jesus today. Now, they weren't asking me, man, give me some of that stuff you're smoking. It wasn't that at all. These were different people, different age groups, men and women both. Disciples and non-disciples. He appeared to so many different people. So some would say, okay, yeah, that happened. And by the way, these sightings were recorded soon after they happened. They were not recorded, you know, just tons of decades later where, you know, there would not be, you know, they, they, had, they did not have time, I guess I'm saying, to develop into legends. Matter of fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he's challenging the church at Corinth when he's talking about the eyewitness accounts. He says, I challenge you, go talk to some of these people. They're still living. This is not legend. These are eyewitness accounts. So some people say, well, those were hallucinations, really. Think about that. That's not a plausible explanation because hallucinations are subjective. And they would vary just like dreams from person to person. I can't, I had a really weird dream last night, all right? Uh, some of you are like, uh-oh. It was crazy. Uh, I was a superhero. No, I wasn't. Um, that's my normal dream. But I was at, I was at the church that I started ministry at. And, I, and, and for some reason, all I remember, I was in church and my back really, really, really hurt. Uh, that's, that's it. That's a, a weird dream. But I can't say to you this morning, hey, did you enjoy my dream last night? Why? Because we don't dream the same thing. Anybody in here dreamed that last night? I'm going to be freaked out if you say yes. All right. So, so yeah, we don't dream the same thing. And if we were to hallucinate, all right, we're not going to hallucinate in the same exact way, see the same thing. It doesn't happen. So one of these appearances happened to one group at the same time of over 500 people. 500 people at the same time having the same hallucination. Only one plausible explanation is this. It's not a hallucination. Jesus is risen. Amen? Listen to this quote and then we'll move on. Canon B.F. Westcott is a brilliant scholar and he says, because of all these reasons that I mentioned and so many more that he gets into, he says, quote, Indeed, taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. End quote. That's good. Okay, did you get that? There's no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, the resurrection is an extraordinary event. But praise God, when you become a believer, you don't have to lose your mind because the resurrection, friends, is a historical event as well. And number three, this is the best news The resurrection is personal. It's personal. Mary is outside the tomb weeping. And after speaking to the two angels, she turns around and there is Jesus standing there. But she doesn't recognize him because, again, her mind is not there that Jesus is raised. Man, we can be stubborn, can't we? Look at verse 15. Jesus is so gentle with her. He's so merciful. What a great Savior we have. 
Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus is messing with her. My kind of guy, right? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him. And said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascended to my Father and your Father, to my God. What Did you get this? I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. Mm, it's personal. I'm ascending to my God, Jesus is saying, and your God. See, the resurrection gets us into the, it brings us into the family of God. It's personal. Hallelujah. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he had seen, said these things to her. So I want you to see this, the resurrection. It's, yes, it is a historical event, but it's so much more than that. It's wonderfully that, but it's more than that. It's personal. I want you to think about this for a moment. It is incredible that Jesus chooses to appear first to Mary Magdalene. If you're here and you're broken and you don't feel worthy to even be sitting in one of these pews today, I want you to hear this. Jesus is so bidding you to come to him. I love this. Why appear to a Mary Magdalene? I mean, what an honor. Mary Magdalene sees the risen Christ first. Why not one of the Roman officials? I was thinking about this. Like if this was me, who would I, like I would be, go to one of the people that hung me on the cross and be like, told you. Like I, I seriously, I would rub it in people's faces or I would probably go to some elite religious leader who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. What now? Right? But he doesn't do that. He goes to one of the most outcast, marginalized people that he knows this demoniac. I just want you to think about this. Think about Mary Magdalene. Just think if your kid brought home a friend, the friend who used to have seven demons. How trusting would you be of that person? Well, mom, he's been touched by the Lord. He had seven devils in him, right? You would be on your guard all the time. Why don't we find a different group of friends? Listen, that was no different. Actually, it was probably worse in the first century. People were scared to death of demoniacs. They avoided them. You remember the story in Mark of the man that was put in the cave? Put in chains, naked and afraid. Not the TV show. He was there. I mean, seriously, he was just cutting himself, crying out night and day. People avoided him. And people would have avoided Mary Magdalene as well. A social outcast. Not to mention, not, not only that, but, but also I want to make mention of this. Mary is a, is a woman. Now today that wouldn't be a big deal. But in the first century, women didn't have the same rights as men. As a matter of fact, listen, a woman's testimony would not even be heard in the court of law. So why would you appear to a woman... First, because Jesus breaks down social 
barriers, gender barriers, racial barriers. He doesn't care about those things. He's looking for the humble. He came for the broken. What a merciful God. I would, I would just submit to you today that, that listen, not only is it personal, but the resurrection is incredibly, immensely merciful. It's not just personal. It's merciful. Because what the resurrection does, it means all of us have a fighting chance. Amen? Well, pastor, you don't know what I've done. I Listen, I, I got caught up in adultery. I used to be a drug addict, or I'm a drug addict right now, or I'm a drunk, or I'm this. Oh, Jesus bids you to come because the resurrection is merciful. Hallelujah. It levels the playing field. It wasn't the religious elite who thought they were somebody. How many know some church folk like that? It wasn't the church folks that Jesus appeared to first. He went to Mary Magdalene, the outcast, the marginalized, the woman. And he has this wonderful conversation with her. And I want you to know all of us. Apart from Christ are sinful, broken people just like this woman. And Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection means that by grace through faith, we get to be with him. We get to, we get to have access to the Father. We get to be part of the family of God. He doesn't want us just to know him historically, to say, oh, Jesus seemed like a great guy. He wants you, he wants to walk with you and talk with you by his spirit. It's wonderful. Romans 8, 16 says the Holy Spirit is talking about the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So even though Jesus is not here in the flesh, we have his Holy Spirit who bears witness to us. Yeah, we know the historical evidence. We know in our minds that the resurrection happened. But we know it's personal and it's real. And we know because of it, we get to be part of the family of God because of the witness of the Holy Spirit that is within us. Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. But he's given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit, a reminder to know that one day we will see the Lord. Just like Mary Magdalene saw the Lord. And we will be with him forever if we are in Christ. The resurrection, see, is incredibly personal because it also means transformation. We are new creations in Christ. Yes, we have historical evidence, but it doesn't stop there. What about the millions and millions of people over the last 2,000 years who have claimed like I claim that I'm a new creation in Christ? See, Jesus is not something that we just add on. We don't just get a little bit religious. We don't add religion to our life when we get quote unquote saved. No, we become new people. Yes, we still have our personalities. I still have a little bit of crazy. But you know what? I'm a new creation in Christ. I've watched, you know, through the halfway house ministry that I partake in. I mean, you talk about a faith builder. I do a class most Wednesday nights and the parole board sees this. Uh, these are actual convicts uh, in, inmates that I am ministering to. And most of them are within six months of seeing the parole board. 
And they recognize, astonishingly, the class that I teach. I can't believe they do that, but they, they do. It's called bondage breakers. And so a lot of those men, I get a full class almost every, every session. And those men are in there for one reason, most of them. You know why? They want a certificate so they can go to the parole board and say, see, I found Jesus. Kind of like Mike Tyson did in prison, right? I found Jesus. He healed my ear. (laughs) Or the ear that he bit, I guess. (laughs) That is not in my notes. That's free. The resurrection is is completely transformational because in that class, I've watched guys in there for the wrong reason. And all of a sudden, I've seen these guys that come in looking all tough and rough. I've seen them just weep in the presence of God. I've watched them change. Matter of fact, last night I was talking online to a guy's name's Jarmaine that, that, that got out. And man, he just said, uh, just an awesome guy. He, he visited us here at church one week. And he just, uh, he said, I'm, I want you to know I'm going to church with my whole family this morning. I just, man, that's awesome. I've watched, I've watched, I've baptized them in here. I've watched them come out of the water, these strong men weeping before the presence of God. There's no other way to explain it to, than this. This is real, folks. It's real. Hallelujah, it's real. We serve a risen Savior. I was, give you one more story. I was with, there, there's a, a guy you might, some of you may remember, and his name's Brandon, and he's actually out. Fern and Larry, was, is he out? Okay, he got out Friday, right? And he told me a couple weeks ago, this guy has not missed, you know, we do church there on Sunday mornings before here. And he, I don't think he's missed a service since I've been there. And uh, he's been faithful when, when you guys have been there as well. Listen, he told me a couple weeks ago, he sat down, it was just, uh, it was just us in, in the uh, little room, conference room there. And he said, hey, pastor, I'm going to tell you something. I said, what, brother? He said, the first time I came to your church, he said, I, the men used to be able to come here every week. And he said, you know why I came? I said, tell me. He said, because there was pretty women I heard. I said, were you looking at my wife? I will cut you. No, I didn't. He said, I heard there was pretty women there. I said, I don't, I don't care why you came, but you know what happened when he showed up? You know what happened when he showed up? The Holy Spirit touched his heart and he came to Jesus. And I mean, this, I've watched him. I've, I've, I've known him for about, well, a little over a year now. And I've watched, I've been with him every week almost religiously. And I've watched the God do something in his heart and it's outstanding. It's amazing. There's one, only one way that that can happen where he's at. Only one way. You know what it is? Only one explanation. Jesus is risen. Here's the deal. Dead people don't change lives. Only a risen God, only a God that is alive and well can change lives. In closing, praise band, you can go ahead and come. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Think of that. If Christ isn't risen, we might as well be out hunting Easter eggs right now. Are in the bed. Watching TV. Whatever. Anything but this. He says in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised. Your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. In other words. You're hopeless. I'm hopeless. Then those who have fallen asleep. In Christ have just perished. They're gone. 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, listen to this. We are of all people most to be pitied. I hear people say to me, well, well, pastor, you know, if, if this all wasn't real, then I would live this way anyways. I wouldn't. I would be all about myself. I would live it up. I'm the way I am. I want to be righteous only because Jesus is alive. Okay. Yeah, I would hope I have some kind of moral compass, but I don't know. Because Christ is my motivation. But he says this, verse 20, this is great news. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't always an apostle. Remember when his name was Saul and he was a persecutor of the church? He did not. He was a a, a religious uh, Jewish. He was training to be this Jewish rabbi. Smart, educated, thought he loved God, but rejected the Messiah. So much so that he had the church Christians persecuted even after Jesus had risen. He made it difficult on the early church, had them even executed until he met the risen Jesus. Well, pastor, I don't know if that really happened. Let me ask you something. What other explanation... Would you give for Paul going from hating Christians, persecuting the church, to leaving all of this, losing almost everything, friends, family, money, respect, all that was laid aside. Here was his new life in Christ. You ready? I'm going to talk into becoming a Christian this morning. Snake bitten, shipwrecked. Left for dead, abandoned, imprisoned again and again, stoned, beaten. Why would you endure that, Paul? And now write two-thirds of what we call our New Testament. Go to read Second Timothy. That's a book that he's writing on death row. Why would he lose it all for the sake of Jesus? Only one plausible explanation. You want to guess what it is? He knew, he knew that Jesus is risen. Christianity hinges on what we celebrate at Easter. Listen to me. Our hope hinges on what we celebrate today. This is going to free some people. Our faith does not hinge on unanswered prayers. Well, I just don't know why God didn't give me this or why he didn't spare this life. You're not God. I'm not God. I'm sorry that happened to you. But thankfully, Christianity doesn't hinge on that. Our faith does not hinge on church people. Because you've probably met some mean ones like I have. But our faith doesn't hinge on an experience you had in church. Well, I just feel like everybody's hypocrites. Well... Okay, none of us are perfect, first of all. And there are a lot of just almost purposeful hypocrites in the church. But there's some really good folks here too, I promise you. But even if not, your faith doesn't hinge on that. Our faith doesn't hinge on the behavior of some Christians. Our faith doesn't hinge on unanswered questions about God or the world or the universe. Our hope is grounded in what we celebrate each Easter. And hopefully every day, the fact that Jesus is risen. Folks, there's a lot at stake here. 
Because if Jesus is raised, everything he said is true. That's why I'm willing to bank my life on it. This is not fake news. Let me just end it like this. If someone predicts his death and his resurrection and it happens, I'm going with that guy. Yeah, because it's extraordinary. It's historical and it's personal. Would you just bow your heads for a moment? If you're in here and maybe you've been a, a skeptic. Randy, if we can cut off our live feed, if it's. If you've, if you've been a skeptic, you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And you feel something just moving you today and you want to give thought to this. I'm careful about having them people raise their hands in, in service because the Bible doesn't say raise your hand and you shall be saved. But if, if something has sparked in your heart today and you would say, Pastor, I want this Jesus that you're preaching about. Listen, you may be the, the most just blatant sinner that you, could, that you know. Your marriage may be turned upside down. You may, have, you may be hung over from last night. And you may feel right now, man, this isn't for me. But you can look at Mary Magdalene and go, oh, wait, this is for me. All right? This is for me. You can look at Paul who killed Christians and go, oh, wait, this is for me. Friends, you can look at my life. And if you knew where I'd been, you'd say, hey. This is for me. If you want personal transformation and you want eternal life, more importantly, it's not just heaven, but it's also great life on this earth walking with Christ. It's difficult at times, but you'll have a peace like you never had before because Jesus is risen. If that's you, I want you to just to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, just pray for me. Nobody looking around. Pastor, I want Jesus this morning. Anybody in here? A Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Yes, sir, in the back. Somebody else, raise your hand again. Yes, sir, thank you so much. Yes, sir, thank you. Hallelujah. Anybody else? If you raise your hand, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to embarrass you or any way ostracize you in service today. But I'm going to be available. Um, One of our leaders is going to tell you where you can find me immediately following service. I'm here. If you want to pray now, if you feel that urge and say... I need this now. I mean, I'd love nothing more as we sing this last song to just pray for you. But if not, I'd ask you to, to, to come and just to meet with me and leave this place knowing that you know that you know that you know that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you're part of the family of God because he is risen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.